the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. I am Dr. Lin from Bakerpedia, the world's largest technical resource for commercial bakers. Before I start the session, I'd like to share some Bakerpedia news with you. Are you feeling lost these days? Like you need somebody to talk to about your dough problems? Well, I have some refreshing news for you. We now have a community at Baker Forum that can help you out with that. It's just a bunch of bakers like us coming together to help solve problems and provide solutions. You have to be a member to join the Baker Forum though. But guess what? Membership is free. So go sign up today because it's free. It's brought to you by our generous sponsors. So today I have something unusual for all of you out there. I have Richard Charpentier with me to answer some of the questions we get at Bakerpedia. Who is Richard? Well, I'll let him tell you that. Welcome, Richard. Hello, Lynn. How are you? I'm good. Say thank you. I appreciate you coming by today on the podcast and... Uh, telling um, our users and listeners a lot, a little bit more about yourself. So we have Richard Charpentier, and he is available as a consultant from the Bakerpedia pages. So, um, Richard, tell our audience what have you done? Wow! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question. question. Yeah, yeah. That with what I've done today, uh, well, overall, uh, I'm a I'm a baker uh, by heart. Uh, you know, the passion I was, uh, when I was very young, I was fortunate enough that by the age of 10, I would walk to school every day. And I remember seeing and smelling the good breads from that bakery. This must not be in the U.S. No, I was in <laughs> France. Not in that, you know, people, people would figure it out. I said, where is he? You know, the right. last Which part of France or did you grow up? In northern France, uh, called Dunkirk. And if you kept on going north, you would have had to swim the uh, English Channel, oh. uh, the North Sea, and then you would get in England. Uh, so we had, you know, the, 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 for another topic, but there's so many different regional breads that people do in France. And mm -hmm. for, uh, so I would see that bakery and, and one day I said, hmm, that's what I want to do. And then the French system is different than the U.S. system where you do have to sort of choose a path. I've uh -huh. chosen the path of baking, and I said, that's what I want to do. And you go, I went to the uh, apprenticeship program, and I started working at 15. So, so how old were you when you decided to go on apprenticeship? 15. Wow. Okay. That's, that's reality right here. You, you, it is reality. You have no idea what work is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, wow, this is, this is hard. And because, you know, we value that, you know, baking is something that has to be taught at a young age. And there's the rich history of the uh, you know, apprenticeship program. So did you start off at an artisan bakery? Obviously, it's not an industrial bakery that you start off apprenticeship with. Nope. It was a puny mom and pop bakery. Lots of funny <laughs> stories around it. 
and it was it was we were doing the oven was there in a very i don't know 10 20 by 20 square feet the really oh, wow and we had to make the buttercream and make everything and it was so hot that the owner uh, the owner of the place and sorry for those who are visual was working in a speedo and <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not food safe. <laughs> it was back then, it was. It was. <laughs> uh, uh, so so I've seen I've seen the evolution of bread baking, but uh, you know, just as a as a funny, funny uh, uh, piece that from, from what I've lived with it. So to me that sounds like a very low paying job. How long were you in that in that uh, in that small little uh, bakery. I mean, your path has been tremendous. I mean, you started at a small bakery. How long were you there? And then when did you decide you want to do more of this torture? Yeah. I, I want, I want, I wanted to do this. Listen, I wanted to do more because I did three months there and I did not get a single penny. Oh, and wow. They don't pay the time, you for apprenticeship? Well, because it was just, you had work to deal with me just to see if I liked it. He wanted to make sure I liked it. So oh. after three months of it, my dad was like, and I was working about like nine, 10 hours every day, not being paid. My dad said, is he going to pay you? And <laughs> I said, I don't know. So I must have loved it. I, that's when I knew I loved it. When I could do it for free, I knew it. I, I, I was into something I liked really, you know, a lot. So, so that's then, good. So, so went, what happened after the three months? Uh, uh, I worked, I got a job as an apprentice uh, for a large uh, semi-commercial bakery called Auchan. It's a supermarket. And what we did, we did every day from scratch, 75 different types of bread. Wow. We had a team of 30 bakers and around the clock, hey, we made fresh product. And people would say, oh, it's industrial. But you know what? It was quite like Whole Foods. It was, it was, we made everything from scratch. We fermented, we scored the baguettes, we did brioche. And it was only the portion of bread. Because in France, once you pick your apprenticeship, you either pick to be a baker or a pastry chef. You can't oh, do both. Interesting. That's, so. that, that, that is so heartbreaking. It's such a heart, heart divide. I can't decide which one I like better. Well, you know, you pas to, pastry or bread. <laughs> <laughs> you have to decide at 15. It's oh, terrible. my God. <laughs> You're talking about forced marriages. Think about it. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, after that, when did you decide to, like, um, go for – did you, like, progress in other jobs or did you decide to go for an education in this? I, I went to the bakery program, the apprenticeship program. And when I graduated, I had the, you know, really good grades because I cared about it. I, you know, like anything you care, you'll put more time. So I was doing well. And I asked the people, I said, what else do I do now at this point? And at, at the time, you're just 17 and a half, 18, you graduate. That's it's two yeah, years. Yeah, you don't know what. So when I said, what else can I do? They said, now you work. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> all my life to doing, doing the same thing. Uh, well, I, I did it, but what I did is I started working in the program of the Master Baker program, which is different than the Master Baker program here in the U.S. I didn't even know there was a Master Baker program here in the U.S. Yeah, it's called a Certified Master Baker through uh, the uh, Retail Bakery Association and the oh, ATF with the American Culinary Federation. 
Oh, got it. Become a, yeah. mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and so I did work on that. And because it's a five-year program, I also worked on a, on, a, on a degree in marketing degree. At the time, employers will force you to go back to school so they could pay you less. So you would, you know, then, then you're a lower paid employee. So I continued my education and I started with a group, Auchan, in 87. And I stayed about uh, there with them until 90, 92. And in between, I did a uh, one-year mandatory military. And I was also a baker. So oh, they they required you to uh, do your job do in the national service in, in in France, and you can actually choose to be a baker. Well, they 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 actually not they they pick you based on your abilities, and because oh. my highest strength was they were you know probably from I don't know I don't know how I got picked, so I was a baker. Oh wow! Okay, after that, um, did you could come out and find another job? I went I went, and the group, the Auchan group, the supermarket group, hired me to open their largest grocery store, and I hated it. I was 22 uh, and trying to manage grown people and bakers. That was, like, not good for me. Uh, uh, I was so, too so young. So that, that would have, like, really discouraging to anyone who wants to continue, you know, a life in bakery because eventually you need to manage people. Eventually you need to manage the baking process and the people, you know? So what made you stay? Well, I, I, I stayed, but that's one of the point I realized I love the science. That's when I would go to the bakers and I would say, Hey, listen, why are we delaying the salt? Hey, listen, why is that bread selling faster to that? And all the bakers would tell me, shut up and go back to work. <laughs> We've been doing it, the same thing for the last 30, 40, 50 years, 100 years, and we're not going to change today. So at that point, we basically, I decided to say, well, you know, science is interesting. Nobody can answer that. So I wanted to be the person to do that and to be creating the new products. So, and from there, I went to uh, the work for a resort in the Bahamas, and that's when I... You know, I was baking in the Bahamas. That's when I learned. I'm like, wow, making a croissant in France with French flour and not making it with American flour with margarine, no longer butter, and in a very high, hot, humid environment, it changes everything. <laughs> and, and that was the best experience to try to make French product in a completely different environment. And that's when I really fell in love with science. And I said, okay, well... There, you can apply science and apply logic through what you do to create different products for solutions. And from there, uh, let us entertain you, uh, Corner Bakery. Uh, Corner Bakery yes, that's right. We're still uh, all hands-on. We do all the breads by, by hand. We would work with sourdough. And right. I was like, wow, wow there's, there's a world of artisan-style baking in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, there was an R&D person and I said I want your job and I was told in the US if you want to do R&D you have to go to school and ah, I said okay. there you go so then I said I'm going back to school so that's what made me go to Kansas State you know after working in the US for two years uh, and went to K-State we you know and never looked back and I was able to be exposed to the small artesian bakeries you know the techniques that we pass on from generation and generation to now this is science right and but together 
between the art and the science of baking, we can solve almost everything, almost. <laughs> right. So let me just say that the ideology of industrialized high-speed baking, which, uh, which the Kansas State University bakery science management focus on, is very different from the ideology be behind the small, small batch artisanal bakery. So how do you decide after getting out of Kansas State University to go into industrial high-speed baking rather than just, you know, go back to the artisanal side of things? Well, at the time, the, the, the proper and logical route for, uh, from after Kansas State with a bakery science degree was large commercial bakeries, which I wanted to learn. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I've learned is no matter how big and how fast the bakery is, we still all use the same raw ingredients. We use flour, right. we use fat, we use sugar, we use salt, we use ovens, we bake. The only difference is the speed. And yeah. that's what I was able to see. But does the speed and the faster you go, the more ingredients you need. As mm -hmm. the lower long fermentation, the less more hands-on things you need. That's true. And that, that's what I love about in this industry is the application of science is directly affecting a lot of the processes and the quality of the products, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, after Kansas State, did you just go and find a job in, in, you know, in an industrial bakery? Uh, yes, and to you know, at the time I, I went to Kansas State because one, it's a great school. I, I received a great education, mm -hmm. and I always tell people for those watching, consider bakery science if Absolutely. you have the time to invest and do it. I was on my last semester, on the start of my last semester, I already had three job offers at the nice. time. Nice. Uh, and I mean, I what other majors can you get three? Like food-based majors, they can get oh. three job offers. Nope, nope, no, no. It's, I know. It's, it's a great, it's a great program. Exactly. Uh, I went into work with uh, Conagra Mills, uh, one of the largest institute Arden Mills, uh, because I wanted to expose myself into milling and flour. Because as we all know, flour is the number one ingredient, right? With the water, that's where we start. You didn't waste and time there. You jumped right into flour, didn't you? Yes, I had to. <laughs> we went from uh, small French bakers to making French French uh, baguettes and speedos, and then here I am at the mill. <laughs> In a big <laughs> that's quite a big jump. <laughs> so that's why the small bakeries in France sound a little sexier than a big. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> big companies. So, so um, what were you doing in the mill? Were you a miller? Were you experimental? Baker? No, my first doing? job I was uh, I was hired because of my experience, I think, as a senior application specialist. From my work with ConAgra Mills, what I was exposed to is working with all the different brands, all the big brands that everybody knows, the Banquet, the Mary Calendar, or the, uh, even Slim Jim for, a, you know, we tried to make a Slim Jim pizza. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, we tried. Uh, it really was good. Uh, we, I don't want to know. That's why I'm not asking more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, you know, learning, learning that now flour, which was, I was used to, you know, we, from where I started up making croissants and making baguettes in the small bakery. Now 
the at the micro level from the scientific standpoint how the flower will go through a freezing process through the microwave how do you get browning with a crust how do you leaven something in the microwave with the microwave so learn a lot about the microwave technology which i thought i was like wow this is amazing i stayed there for about i want to say four or five years so i left i left conagra and went to work for a co-manufacturer that was specializing in doing MREs for the military. Oh, uh, yeah. Those the baked goods that will last forever. Three years. And I was three like, years. I was like, okay, now I've learned how to make croissants. Now I've learned how to make baguette. Now I've learned flour. Now I've learned <gasps> right. microwaveable technology. I'm like, but I don't know shelf life. So I said, I need to know. So I took the job because to me, life is a learning experience and I wanted right. to learn more. And I, I learned how to take a bread. How do you take a bread from two, three-year shelf life that the soldier, the American soldiers in the field will say, hey, I'm hungry. Is this the best bread? No, but it's doable. So it'll really allowed me to understand that simple as a you know wheat flour, you could go make a croissant. You could give me a microwave, microwaveable okay. pizza, yeah. and you could make an MRE lasting for three years. I'm like, yeah. wow, that product That's is so amazing. versatile. Yeah, absolutely. So um, after the military, did you go back into high-speed baking? I, I, I wanted to do where the fun was, and, and I went to work for Hostess. Great company. Oh, that's so uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, great company. Twinkies all day, everyone. Twinkies. And the, the, the dirtiest secret in the industry was it was a Frenchman changing the Twinkie formula. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I started with a guy wearing a Speedo. So it was terrible. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's, and I was part of the program before the bankruptcy in the first, the, 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 when in 2012, mm -hmm. November 2012, we, I was part of the program of taking cakes from 30-day average shelf life to 60 days to 90 days. Because ESL, and I said that to the industry, yeah. every, to everyone, did, in cakes, it did not exist until, you know, hostess pushed a button. And after that, it was a flood. Everybody wanted to, to say, how can I do that? Yep. Uh, and all the yep. technology was coming out. But at that time, I had learned, you know, shelf life from before. I knew that enzyme was the, were the key, packaging was the key, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. water activity. So as the industry, I mean, was still like take all the take all that knowledge from your MREs, right? Just put it over to hostess cakes. Yep. Yeah. That's basically you know we 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 bakers were nothing but you know learning the the the, the tool taking the tool. It's all about sharing, uh, and and from from there uh, after the bankruptcy, I was forced out of a job. And I landed a job with Flowers Food, and I was a senior director on my last job uh, uh, for Flowers Foods, doing the same thing. Flowers, you know, with what I knew, which was shelf life, uh, you know, yep. and hopefully, you know, and then made some better products and, and helped the company. Yeah, uh, and that's, I, I really feel that is why your background is so key to what you're doing right now. And um, you just started out your own business, isn't that right? Yep, yep. I started uh, Baking Innovation. Uh, what do you do? What does the company do? Well, in a, in a nutshell, for those listening, you know, I'll try to do it very simple. I realized that in R&D, yeah, at the end of the day, time is money. And, and with large R&D teams and with high levels of 
people, it often takes on average for a large company between six months to a year to do product development, real product development. Yeah, I've never uh, seen anything less than six months, honestly. Yeah, like when I say six months, it's very fast. Yeah. Uh, and today, with, with my knowledge, I realized there's a need for to help all the small bakeries around where they cannot afford an, uh, a full-time employee like myself on staff. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I'll be bored because they won't have enough projects for me. So instead, they come to me. I, I treat them the same way I would work for Conagra, but we do products that are ready for commercialization, okay. meaning we've done the work. We know we, we remove the bugs out of it. And like I said to bakers, I said, we make it bulletproof. What you want, as bulletproof as you can, but how, many, how much time do you waste when you try a product on the line three, four times and people are not sure about the science and you're wasting five, six, 7,000 pounds of batches trying to make it work. That's money. So basically with someone like Baking Innovation, we'll get you there much faster. So it's a speed to market innovation. So um, that's what I wanted our listeners to know when they engage you through Bakerpedia is um, what does Richard know? You know, and and how can he help us? Because a lot of the people that we see coming through are actually not large-scale manufacturers. They are an increasingly amount of people who have never baked before. You know, and they that product is just hitting the shelves and being so successful. So we have a lot of people who have never done this before. Right. And then they have um, all these different questions about shelf life. So to me, it feels like it's a whole new world in the baking industry. And, and that's who you're helping with your consulting and your services. So just to let our listeners know um, what kind of que- what kind of people you can help. Let, let's put some put you through some questions. That have come across right. on our website. Right. And, and, and um, to those of you who haven't heard Richard and I work the questions, we are on every Tuesday at uh, 10 o'clock uh, Pacific time. So that's going to be 1 p.m. Eastern time. And we go through a whole bunch of questions for about 25, 30 minutes. So this is just an example of the questions that we go through. And it all comes to the website through uh, blogs, emails, and social media. And, um, you know, just so that we could give you an example of, of, of who comes to our website. You know, Richard, my first question is, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, my natural dough relaxer and go-to ingredient has been deactivated dried yeast or DDY. What is your experience with the use of DDY and do you recommend it? Okay. No, that's a good question. Uh, I will answer from my professional experience and my what I've played with. So I would say uh, playing with deactivated yeast, I like it but you have to be very cautious. It's good, but not good for all application. And again, that's my personal opinion. Here is why. Most of the bakeries, when they work with it, let's use the example of a high speed line for cinnamon rolls. So the dough is being mixed. We're talking about 1000 pound dough that's gonna be go into a dough trough, ferment there for about 15 to 20 minutes, and they're gonna put it up all the way up 
to the to the hopper and the dough has to sheet properly and go through and get some consistency because if you don't have the same consistency you're gonna have issue because the rolls and the thickness and you have issues with weight and frying so that really helps out but here is the key every time when on the line like that you do put trims you cut the size to make sure it's straight That's on true. average bakers run around you know a good bakery you run around between seven to fifteen percent trim you run very well that's ideal so you cut your trends bakers don't throw anything away as we all know that so you're going to take your trim and put it back in so every let's say every thousand pounds you're putting 150 pounds up to of old dough so when you have glutathione or deactivated yeast you the, the issue is i've debated that with a lot of people because the bakers will say richard it works fantastic for the first three, four hours. Mm -hmm. But after we're like eight to 12 hour shift, when you're talking so people run 24 seven, they said, we're, we're seeing issue and the dough rheology stops and it starts getting tacky. And so we have to add more water, uh, more, excuse me, more flour and more yeah. gluten to help out. Yeah. But what's, what's going on? Well, you're taking all dough and yep. your level is increasing all the time. And, and in the perfect world, you would say, you know what? I'm not putting any trim. Yep. But that's my recommendation. I said it works. Maybe. Well, if, if you want to put it in trim, then don't you then don't, don't use a DDY, right? Yep. yep. So I feel like DDY is the go-to ingredient if you want to have better um, pen flow and uh, lower mixing time, so you wear out your mixer a little less. But really. If given any day, I would go with L-cysteine faster than I would go with DDY, you know, because DDY is so uncontrollable. And sometimes the enzyme blends that you use for oxidation might not reverse the effect of DDY in the prover, you know. So that's the challenge of DDY, right? So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah. So, hey, let's go on to the next question. Water activity from our water activity page. Hi, I would like to know what the standard water activity for baked chocolate chip cookies are. It appears to be around 0.3 to 0.35, but I would like a confirmation. Richard, you've done MREs. What do you think? Well, I've done MREs in cookies. Yes, it is around 0.35 for cookies. Uh, and at that point, you're lower than 0.65, so you don't have to worry about anything. Right. Uh, and, and to those people who aren't, who aren't familiar with water activity, can you summarize like really shortly, what is water activity and why should people be concerned with water activity? All right, so quickly, if you get a reading of 1.0, that's basically full water. Mm -hmm. It's the amount of sort of saturation in the products and it's free water versus bond water and very right. simply. And there are plenty of articles online. So what you do at a certain level when there's no available water for other organism to grow like 0.65 so therefore organisms are not going to be able to grow and that's yeah. why it is small yeah especially yeah, so if you, if you if you get your water activity down to 0.6 is it 0.65 or 0.6 Six, 0.65 0.65 you don't need to use any kind of mold inhibitor is that correct but you, no no you you have basically mold will grow regardless it's sure it will only survive in any environment and, and different, you have different species and strains of, of mold, is it's bacterial. So basically when you're 0.65 and lower, you don't have to worry about pathogens or bacterial thing. You'll want to make people sick, but you yeah. might still be dealing with molds, yeah. 
Okay, got it. All right, so let's go on to our next question from the CMC page, which is carboxymethylcellulose. If I add carboxymethylcellulose in the bread formula, would this help me bind water and decrease, decrease the water activity? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's kind of... There's there's mixed mixed opinions on this one. I did yeah. talk to Dr. Lang. He said you're you're getting into like really scientific. But overall, let's think of CMC. CM, CMC is highly highly hygroscopic. Yeah, binds so, water, right? And you most likely will increase it. But I've asked experts to say you're not going to really move the needle very much. Yeah, uh, you will have to use tons. So if you're trying to use CMC to move the needle on your water activity level, I would say use other ingredients. Be yeah, I agree. Even baking out more is going to reduce the water activity mm -hmm. further than CMC. I think CMC is used in bread formula for frozen, isn't it? I mean, why do people use CMC in bread formulation? Uh, I've seen it frozen. I've seen it for uh, uh, shelf life. Ah, uh, it's it. used. It's used a lot in the in the cakes or so glazes because it has a good solubility. Uh, yeah. And, you have, you, and again, we hear CMC. There have different strains. You yep. know, you could contact Dupont. They're pretty good. You know, used to be formerly also with the Dow Group, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Mm -hmm. They used to be very good at all the CMCs. And and today they even have CMC that can whip as well. You know, it's going to foam. So yeah, it's an amazing product. Okay, um, next question is from our flour tortilla page. What would be a good machine to make 800 to 1,000 tortillas per hour? Well, That's we're, like really small. We, uh, we're, talk, we're, talking, we're talking about a small machine mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be restaurant style. Uh, 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 I think, uh, I remember, I think on the border or chain, a restaurant chain, you know, sort of a thing, Besco, B-E-S-C-O, mm -hmm. and it's the beta, beta, B-E-T-A, 900. It's a small machine. Look up online, eBay, carry some. I, I checked it out. Uh, oh, cool. uh, they run around $10,000 to 20 new, so. Yep, yep, that's available. All right, so next question is from our Shelf Life Extension page. What preservatives can I add in gluten-free dry baking mixes for extending its shelf life? Isn't, I mean, isn't gluten-free mixes really low in water activity? And does that require preservatives? Gluten-free, as long, again, not knowing the water activity, but they will need to dry, hydrate their dry ingredients and therefore check your water activity see where you are and also check your ph and that will let you know which acid or best acid to work because if you're thinking you could use the potassium sorbate sodium propionate sorbic acid but where always look where do they perform the best which pka which acid you know where, where you want to be because if you're putting something in and your ph level is seven five you are getting 2% roughly of efficacy from what you're putting in. So it's always try to think of the ingredient functionality, what you're putting in and what's, what value do you get out of it. So the question would be check your water activity, mm -hmm. what's your pH, and then if you have questions, then contact us or contact me and I can, I'd be glad to help you. Yep, absolutely. Um, we, if you haven't noticed, 
listeners, we have just been covering shelf life extension and shelf life questions. And this seems to be um, the commonality that we keep seeing question after question. The next one is not any different. From the pound cake page, is it possible to formulate a pound cake with a shelf life of six months? If yes, please kindly elaborate on the ingredients used. Yep. Uh, well, I'll use uh, personal experience. You know, MRE, and mm -hmm. we, uh, we, it's, I think it was called UGRA, the UDS2 have acronym. But one of them was not the full shelf life. It was mostly something you could ship. The people on the end will get the same quality product. So it's brilliant, but it has to be done well. So we used to do a, a pound cake uh, that was 18 months. So, and the way we accomplished it is one through the formulation, which today I would say formulation is between 30 to 40% of the Interesting. of your product. And the 60% or the 70% is your packaging. When I say packaging, I'm also putting in a clean process line. Because if you, I've seen a lot of people do that where they would say, oh, you know what? I'm going to put some premium ingredients in my cake, which, you know, you're adding system which they're not cheap and technically the less you use the better flavor you would get and the last thing is the packaging can you get best packaging and we used to be able to get the cadillac of packaging the cadillac of the top notch mm -hmm. which is very expensive but again there was a demand for the u.s military to be able to take cakes and ship it all the way to iraq in yep. containers yep. So. Mm -hmm. ingredients packaging important okay Last question I have for you is I have always worked on the basis that higher temperature dough temps in excess of 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit lead to problems with product collapse, poor internal structure, etc. Why is this so? What is breaking down in there? Well, you know, if, if it, like in all the bakeries, and I'm sure people working in bakeries, you guys have heard it many times, if you have a problem at the end of the oven, hmm, where do you do? You go talk to the guy in the oven? No, you go talk to the mixer. We go back all the way to the mixer and we say, hey, what's going on? And one, it could be mixing too much. Uh, because if you over mix, as we all know, your gluten network is going to be turned to shred. You can counteract, we all know that, with oxidizing agents mm -hmm. uh, to reinforce, to create strength. And it's going to help you know, regain the strength you need to go through your line. Correct. It could be, do they, do, do they have a bad batch of flour? I don't know, because mm -hmm. we think about 40 Fahrenheit, we're talking about 102, 104 degrees, uh, uh, 40 Celsius is 102, 104 Fahrenheit. It's not a too high of a temperature. Temperature itself will not do it. So do they have anything wrong with their water? Is this too acidic? Is this a soft water? Is this a hard water? So mm -hmm. you really have to start breaking it down. You know, see, the, the problem on a question like that, I would say, I would always tell people in the bakery, go back to the base, go back to the roots. And if the mixtures, everything is great, check your flour, check your water, check the meter, check, because the proof box itself, temperature is not going to make your, your, your bread drop. So the issue is always somewhere else and always, it's never just one thing. It's usually several factors contributing to the issues you're seeing. Right. And, and I'd like to add to that, too. I mean, if this is a consistent problem in your bakery where you're getting um, overproof looking product, 
you know, basically what's happening is, is that the gluten is disintegrating, right? The gluten is in, disintegrating because of what just uh, um, Richard just said. You know, you, you don't have the right flour. You don't have the right dough conditioner or not enough of it. You know, the, 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 the water is wrong. You know, so all these things, anything that contributes to the weakening of the gluten or its disintegration over fermentation is what it's causing it to break down in the proofer. So like Richard says, not really the proofer tamps. It is what you started with. So go back right to the beginning and figure out from there what needs to be done at the mixing station to, to produce a dough that is um, what we call dummy proof, right? Throughout the whole system. So <laughs> that's your job. One more, one more follow-up question to this particular question is, does datum work for this? Well, well datum help. Datum is a, is a fantastic straightener. As Just for the record, I love datum too. Big fan it, of datum. It, it's going it's to help just with strength. And it also right. helps with shelf life for softness, but not the best for it. But in terms of strength, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy one. I used to like, you know, I know potassium bromate is it. Oh, oh, that's like my ultra favorite, but nobody likes to use it these days. <laughs> no, no anymore. It's, it's, it's uh, not very clean. Let's put, let's put it this way. No, it's not clean. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, you the, 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 it would help. Yeah, exactly. So um, those were the days where we were using potassium bromate and datum, right? So now it's like, no, no. So we can't do those. But um, I would like to wrap this up and uh, let you know that if you need to contact um, Richard for any kind of consulting work, please, please reach out to him through our um, consulting page. It's under re the resource tab on bakerpedia.com. And uh, he should be really accessible to any of your PD needs or commercialization needs and efficiency needs, okay? So um, before we go, uh, Richard, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Lynn. And I will see you again on Tuesdays, 10 at 10. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this session on our Tuesdays, 10 at 10. You can join us Tuesdays at 10 o'clock on our homepage to look at what we do. Okay. Before I end, I would like to thank our sponsor, our newest sponsor, SoFresh. Thank you, SoFresh, for your continued sponsorship. Your amazing line of new packaging innovation will change the industry, and I'm so excited to see what happens next. Your sponsorship makes it possible for Bakerpedia to be available for all bakers out there. Find out more about our sponsors like SoFresh on our sponsor showcase at bakerpedia.com. Till next time, bakers. Bake happy.